I want you to open your Bible this morning to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. For the last couple of weeks, we've talked about encouragement and being encouraged. And I know the devil this year especially has tried his best to dethrone, to discourage, make us try to think that everything is not as we were taught it is, to cause us to draw back or maybe to faint or lose ground or lose heart or something. So the last couple of weeks has been an attempt to encourage you that you know you are on the right track, that trials and troubles and difficulties are a part of this life. But that's how you prove yourself, that you can make it and that you can get to the end. you got to remember always as a Christian, there is a building process taking place. God is constantly, continually building. He uses building blocks, which he calls living stones. That's us. And God is continually putting us together. Sometimes we don't fit. So he has to make adjustments. You know what I mean. And he has to do a work in us so that we can fit. But there is no time he is not building. So there is a constant need to put God's people in remembrance that God is putting things together to please himself. And out of what he builds is going to come a habitation. Paul wrote a habitation of God. And the praise that will erupt out of that habitation will be glorious. So this is what we're in. At no time does God leave us alone. At no time is our life stagnant. But we're constantly being tested. We're constantly having to prove to ourselves and in demonstration to God that we believe what we're hearing. Many people didn't believe it. They turned away. It just wasn't the way they wanted it to be or thought it was going to be. But those who are pressing in and refuse to give up and draw back, no matter what goes on, they're a part of the building process. These are the ones that God is going to use, again, to bring forth his glorious praise. Now, Peter's life, I like to think, after Peter's conversion, I like to think that Peter devoted his life, the rest of his life, to putting people like me and you in remembrance of these things. That his time of being alone with the Lord was for your sakes, to find out what was necessary to be said, what was important to be said. That we should be reminded continually, again, you're not only a part of what God is doing, but God is putting you together in a way that pleases him. So hang in there. Don't give up and don't fall back. Verse 12, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Now, these things here is the coming of the Lord and the preparation of our lives for his coming. He said, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Going to church and hearing a sermon for many people is just that. For Christian believers, it is going to church to gain information, to gain an understanding, to avail ourselves to that time when God opens our eyes that anointed meeting where you see something that you haven't quite seen before. 
You get convicted about something you were living with. You begin to think of things differently than you used to think. God is dealing with us. And so he says, you're being established in the present truth. Verse 13, yea, I think it necessary or meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle or my body to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my departure to have these things always in remembrance. It's like Peter is saying, I don't have long to be here, but I pray that what you have heard and what God has given to you, you won't forget it. Because this, the word of God is all we have. If we lean to the word of man, it's nothing. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of the way is death. So the great blessing we have from God is information or revelation, something that illumines a man's heart and mind where you see things that change things. This is what's happening. Peter said, I will not be negligent to not put you in remembrance of these things. He said, you see, I want to stir you up. I want you to be stirred up. The word stir can also mean arouse to, or in, in some degree, to agitate you or, or to get you awakened to what we're called to do and the kind of people we're called to be. I'm going to keep reminding you of that, he said. I like that because I think that's what Christianity is. It's just not a performance from a pulpit to people who pay for it or think they do, but it's a life that we live with a revelation that God gives. And so we come and we meet and we pray and we seek because we want to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. Now, that brings us to our message today, being established in the faith, being established in the faith, because the way we live, the way we connect with God, the testimony that we have living that way is what the Bible refers to as the faith. And that phrase, the faith, is used more than once in the Bible, but it's easily identified as a course of life that is dictated by faith. Your life cannot be dictated by faith if you don't know what it is or if you don't know the spiritual mechanics of it. What makes it work? How do you get it? How does it come? How do I process it? How do I make it work in my life? I don't understand. See, we can't live a life of faith unless we know that. So we keep putting you in remembrance of it. It's a life that you live that is dictated by faith. Faith is taking things that are not as though they are. But you can't just say, well, I'm going to believe anything because God tells you what you can call to be. His word, faith comes by hearing. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's me living a life based on what I've heard that I'm convinced is going to happen. And I'm willing to live my life as though that cannot be anything but true. A life the world would call foolish, crazy, and all of that. But it's a life that God wants us to live. But I have to be established in that. I have to be grounded in it. I have to be rooted in it. I have to be settled in it. Turn to Luke 22, an old familiar passage of Scripture that's used a lot, but it has a message there. 
because I know of nobody who has ever ventured into a faith life, a life of faith, who hasn't run into a wall, who hasn't in some way failed, or who hasn't in some way been wounded, or has not had those days having heard faith. Maybe for 15 years, you find yourself wondering sometimes, Lord, will you really? I mean, when? We've all been there. Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and verse 32, he said, Simon, Simon, behold. He said, the devil has desired thee that he may sift you as wheat. Now, the word sift means to agitate, to throw you down. It's combat. It's a struggle. He said, the devil wants you back. See, Peter was claimed by the Lord. He said, the devil has desired you, that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to make your life as miserable as he can. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. That's what he said. The only thing he said that I'm praying for for you, Peter, is that your faith fail not. I'm not going to keep you from undergoing an attack. The difficulty you're about to experience, the intensity of the battle, God is not going to stop it or slow it down. He's going to let it happen. Why? Why indeed, once Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, it was evident then that this is the Son of God. From that day on, from that time on, he was marked, evidenced by the very next thing that happened to him is he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's proving himself, testifying that I am he. We say, I'm a Christian. You testify to it or something. Jesus said to Peter, he said, you know, the devil has desired you. He wants you back. He wants to throw you this way and that way. He wants to confuse you. He wants to make you wonder if any of this is really real or is it just a myth? Is it something man made up centuries ago and called it a Bible? I mean, look around. How many people do you know that have experienced this or that or this or so? Look at them. How would you base your life on something that you see no evidence of in people? Come on, where is it? The devil wants to do that because if he can do that, you'll sit quietly there and spend the rest of your church life wondering why it didn't work. He keep you still and quiet. Keep you agitated on the inside, making you some where once we used to say amen to a certain message. Now we're going, well, I don't know about that. That's the work the devil does. Just to put things in limbo. Jesus said, I prayed for you, Peter. One thing, I pray that your faith, your faith will not fail. Now, you know, that when you look at the story afterwards, there's a very real sense in which Peter did fail, didn't he? Well, I mean, you can be there quiet and say, well, the Bible doesn't deny itself, and I'm certainly not trying to make it deny itself, but you cannot tell me that Peter didn't back away. He denied three times knowing the Lord, didn't he? In fact, one of the guys, I think the guy, he lopped his ear off. Nonviolent Peter, you know, whop, got his ear. 
Well, that guy who was healed identified him around the fire. You were with him. You're one of them. I'm glad it was dark. <laughs> Peter said, I wasn't with him. I don't even know him. Why would I want to run around with him? I'm not one of that bunch. Now, would you call that failure? Maybe you wouldn't. I would call it failure. Here's a man that had the keys of the kingdom. Peter, you're a rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church. He gave him the keys of the kingdom. Then he turns around and he says, I don't even know him. I don't go to his church. I, don't, I ain't a part of that. I, no. Would you call that failing? Would you call that turning back or fainting or falling down? What prompted it? Well, fear of dying. He saw Jesus getting beaten, whacked pretty hard. I mean, it was brutal. I mean, you talk about brutalizing him. Man, this man had his hair pulled out. He had beaten and thorns in his head and being mocked and spat on and hit in the face with people's fists. Prophesied, prophet, who hit you? Ha, ha, ha. They were just wailing away on him. Peter didn't want any of that. If they did that to the head, what are they going to do to the rest of us? Peter said, ah, uh, that ain't me. No, I'm no, 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 no. I'm not a part of that. Would you call that backing off? If he had done that when I first got saved, it was in times of learning I was in, he would have been put out of the church. He might have been hung in a tree somewhere. But you know what? Jesus said, I prayed for you what? That your faith fail not. One thing that Peter did not let go of was his conviction about what was right. He wasn't man enough to live it, but he couldn't get away from it either. That's the power that is lodged in a Christian's heart. You may waver from time to time. A righteous man may fall, but there's something in your heart that won't let go of you. Peter, the Bible says, went out and wept bitterly. You know why? Because he didn't feel like that about God. He's just trying to save his own self. And he realized, oh, God, what have I done? What have I done? I remember one time being with a fellow at a hospital, and he didn't want what happened to happen. He knew this wasn't the way we're supposed to do it. This is not the way it's supposed to turn out. And his heart was broken. But he never quit. He never gave up on the Lord. In fact, he is still a strengthener, has a testimony that's intact. Peter didn't quit, did he? He was brokenhearted. Jesus had to meet him at a seashore one morning up in Galilee, and Peter was so, he was so wanting Christ and that restoration of relationship that he dove out of the boat to swim to the shore and didn't know what to do when he got there. God does wonderful things in the hearts of those who believe him. He just never leaves you alone. You may wander around sometimes, wonder where you're going, but you can't deny that something on the inside of you that won't let go of you that keeps talking to you. You're mine. Well, I didn't do very good. It's true. I know you didn't. What would he say to Peter? Oh, that's all right. If it's all right, do it again. It's not all right. It's not a good thing what you did, Peter. But you know what, Peter? I want you to feed my sheep. 
Me? Didn't he say that? How's he going to strengthen his brethren otherwise? He said, I want you to strengthen my brethren. He said, once you're converted, Peter. Jesus even said, once you're converted, once you're turned back. You reckon he was thinking maybe in this trial that Peter was going to turn a different direction for a while? He must have because he said, once you're converted, which is turned back. I want you to strengthen your brethren. You know something they don't know now. You've heard the same word they've heard, but now you've experienced the hardship of it, but you've been recovered by the same word, and you know what you believe. That's why he could write in 1 Peter 4, think it not strange concerning these fiery trials that are to try you as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. He's leading you through these valleys. He's leading you to the mountaintops where you get thrilled. He's in charge of your whole life. When you surrender to him, you become his. You may not realize all of that. He may tolerate a lot of stuff in you that he doesn't want, but he's going to deal with it because whom he loves, he chastens. He cares. He really does. So Peter said, I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance of these things. You're human. There are flaws in your life that need to be worked out as part of the process of building. There's evidence of strength in your life. There's evidence of wood, hay, and stubble. Things that have to be purged out of your lives. If you don't purge it, you'll just become a stagnant church goer. You'll go to church and nothing will ever happen. But if something has already happened, like with Peter... You might flounder for a season, but God ain't going to leave you alone. Because even when you try to wander away from it, all you can do is realize how awful you are, how terrible a person you are, how weak you are, how much of a mouth and a boast you have, but you're nothing. Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, no, maybe they will, but not me. Oh, I can imagine Peter, when he got alone, thinking about all the boasts that he made and how many times he failed. I mean, he got out of the boat and walked to Jesus, didn't he? And he then got rebuked. He began to sink, made a show of himself. and <laughs> He said one time, no, Lord, you're not going to do that. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, as he's thinking, man, I must be the devil. Because, you know, I, whew, man, I've flunked the test on the sea, and then when I cut that guy's ear off, ah, stop it. I, you know, I haven't done anything right since I started this thing. I think that's why in John 20 he said, I'm going fishing. Because the Greek word, as I understand the words and read them, the word I go is that I'm going and not coming back. This didn't work for me. I tried it. He even sent us out. We even healed the sick and did all these miracles. You know, I saw dead raised. I've heard him teach. I've been close to him. It just doesn't work for me, okay? So I'm going to go back and try to make the best of my life. But he couldn't get away from what? Something in his heart that God had put there. Something of God lodged in his heart. He couldn't get away from it. And it kept bringing him back. It brought him back through two things, conviction and repentance. 
And he said, I'm sorry, Lord. And God said, I forgive you. Now let's get up and get on. We got work to be done. I'm going to use you. You know, I think Peter had a humbled heart after that. I really do. But the thing that held him fast was his faith because faith is something that is lodged in your heart that you cannot deny. When it's there, it's there. And you know in whom you have believed and you're persuaded that he's able even though, oh, I don't know, I'm afraid. You keep coming back. All of us in this room that have had failures have kept coming back. One night with my children years ago going through a, some kind of a fever or sickness or something. I don't know what it was. And I was having a fit. I was not doing well at all. I wasn't making the best confessions about who God was and what he's promised. Amen. And I was kind of fussing with God. And in the midst of the fussing, while all this is going on, everything became peaceful and the child was well. And I hear a little voice. Now, don't run to church tomorrow night and tell them how well you fought and how the devil just ran from you. Because if you tell them anything, tell them you fell flat on your face and I'd healed them anyway. Well, Lord, that wouldn't give me any glory. I, you know, how many people going to think I'm a big shot if I say I didn't do very good, but God did it. Folks, there's a lot of us that don't do as well as we could, but you're still here. There's a lot of us that haven't done as well as we could have done, but you're still here. There's something in your life you can't get away from. It's that something that God does when he holds on to his people's heart. You're not going to get plucked out of his hand. You're going to get shaken. Fiery trials await you. Every man that lives godly in Christ Jesus is going to suffer persecution. You have to endure hardness, the Bible says, as a good soldier. It's not a pleasing, pleasant life of just picking roses and eating chocolate on the mountaintops or whatever you would call the ideal life. The chocolate part sounds pretty good. This is the way in my life. I want to share this with you. I want to put you in remembrance of something that has for me become the foundation of a life of faith. A simple, simple message. I don't want to embarrass you because you think, well, that's elementary. It really is. We're going to go to the fundamental this morning for just a little bit. And I want to show you faith. The faith that operates, the faith that pleases God, the faith that gets results, the faith that does everything the Bible says it will do begins, number one, faith is based on a promise. You can't believe something if God has not promised it. All faith is based on the word of God. Faith comes how? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you want to know what you can believe, go find out in the Bible if it says that. Can you believe for your bills to be paid? Yes. Because the Bible said, my God, in Philippians 4.19, my God shall what? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Can you believe for a new car? Well, where in the Bible does it say car? The best thing they could go with in the Bible is a chariot. So where do you get automobile? Look in your concordance. If under A, if you found automobile, throw that version out. 
You can't find it under sea for cars. You won't find it under automobiles. And what makes you think as a Christian you can claim, if that's where you are, claim a new car? What makes you think you can? Or a house. I can give you verses for that. See, there are specific promises made in the Bible. You've got to find the promise that meets your need. There's nearly 8,000 of them in the Bible. Now, you can sit around and ignore them and not benefit from them. That's like having a ticket to go somewhere that includes all the meals, and you half starved yourself to death because you didn't think you could afford to eat. Well, the meal goes with the ticket. And you were sitting off and not getting anything to eat while the cruise was taking place, find out what's yours. You've got a Bible. You've been 30 years at this. Find out what it says. Look at it and search for it. What does the Bible say about my marriage, about my children, about disease or sickness or some kind of impairment? What does the Bible say? I can't just in a moment say, oh, God, do something. God will tell you he already has. He already has done something. He not only secured your salvation, but he has said all the promises in him are yes and in him, amen. You don't have to say, oh, Lord, would you do this? He's already said he would. Find the promise. I'm amazed that 30 years later from 46 for me, but at least 30 years later from where all of this began, people still don't know what they're looking for in Scripture. They know there's a need in their life, just like there was a need in anybody's life. And they still don't know what they can latch on to. Find the promise. That's the first thing you do. There are specific promises that will tell you, I'm the Lord that heals you. I will remove all sickness from the midst of you, the Bible says. Deuteronomy 7, his word is medicine to your flesh. It's Proverbs 4. And the Bible says in Psalm 107, 20, he sent his word and healed you. This is the voice of your father speaking to your heart. It's deep calling to deep. And there you are studying that, and, and you read that, and you think, well, let's get another one. And you get three or four more. Isaiah 53, he bore your disease and carried you. Did he mean it or not? Is that what he said or not? Is that a promise? Is that something that New Testament people can latch on to? Well, see, you've got to find out for yourself. And for the automobile and the car or the stove or the carpet, whatever it is you're trying to get and you want, you have promises like Mark eleven twenty four, which are general. What things soever you desire. I can find a promise for healing. That's easy to do. Or for prosperity or bills being paid or raising children. I can't find anything specific for stoves and cars or even vacation. But I have Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever you desire. When you pray... You believe that you have what you prayed for. That's a tough one. And if you will, you'll get it. Those are God's conditions. It came from a general promise. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe you have received them, and you shall have them. I hope you as a church believes that because that's what we're given to believe. 
These are not easy things to believe because the world trained us. My own life growing up, the doctors and the medicine, Doc Marshall, there in Charlestown where I grew up, old Doc Marshall, he could fix anything. He had in his office a big brown bottle of pills this color, and he had another big bottle of that color. When you went in, you got them out of this jar or you got them out of that jar. And I remember that man had hands, his fingers were as big around as, as a man's wrist. They just huge. He never smiled. He was a mean-looking man, and he'd just kind of look at you and all that and work on you and give you the same medicine every time. He always, it always worked. That's all we ever knew. Growing up, all we ever knew. If something didn't right, go to the doctor. It's just life. You know, if you don't have any money, go to the bank. The Bible they're holding every Sunday morning says there's a better way. There's something better than that. But it's been ignored. You can't have faith in something that you're ignoring. And you can't complain against something that you're ignoring. God gave us these things to learn. It's a part of what he's given to us. you got to find the promise. I don't want the world to train me. I was trained by the world. I was the sickest human being anybody in here knew. I was. I don't even know how I made it through my young adult life, my college. I don't know how I made it with the weakness and the sickness and the lung problem I had. But I did. And then after all of those years and got saved and learned what I could believe and good health came. But see, all I did was make a decision. Look, I'm glad the world and the doctors and medicines and inventions and procedures, I'm glad all of that's out there because without that, most of the church would die. But there is something better than all of that that's in the Bible that I found a lot of church people really don't want to hear. How can we have faith in something if we dread it? Oh, and how many times have we started out and turned back? I have. There have been times in my life, I didn't have told you about them, but times in my life I've turned back. And you wonder, how can you make it? Well, I didn't give up. And you get turned on again. It isn't easy. This walk is not an easy walk. It's not an easy life. It's easy to say these things. It's just not easy to do it. But, you know, the world trained me to be sick. I was trained to be sick. When I went there, they told me this probably happened. Well, when you're this age, this will happen. You hear it all the time on the news. Well, when you reach the age of 40, this is going to happen to you. And when you reach the age of 50, well, this add this to it. And when you hit 60, oh, brother, here comes this. Now, at age 70, you're almost gone. And so you're trained, you think like that. And if there's a problem, you know, you, you turn to that. And when you go to church and the preacher says, no, 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 no. There's people that need that. Let me show you what God says. Oh, brother, that sounds, I don't know about all that. That's the difficulty of putting people in remembrance and keeping them reminded because sometimes you got to fight through all of this. Faith doesn't come easy. You have to fight to get it. And you have to fight to keep it. But the second thing, once you find the promise in the Bible, the second thing is two points to it, twofold. You find the promise, part one. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God heals? Oh, yeah, God, uh, yeah. Well, do you believe he heals you? Do you believe when you don't feel healed that if you 
lay hold of faith that by stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Well, I don't feel healed. He didn't say you'd feel healed. Well, I don't look healed. He didn't say you would look healed. He just said, when you pray, believe you are. So do you believe the promise you found in the Bible? Do you believe that God will save your child? Do you believe that God will fix your child? Do you believe that God will supply your needs? How about that stove? How about those deadlines you're dealing with? How about the healing or the headache? Do you believe God will do that for you? That's one of the conditions. But the condition is like what I just quoted. When you pray, believe what? Believe you have it. And how silly and dumb that must look to people. You mean we're supposed to go around believing that we're something that there's no evidence of it? That's right. How many of you believe you're saved? Is there evidence of it? You ever had a bad day since you've been saved? Christians don't have bad days, do they? Everybody around you knows you're saved all the time. If you dropped a rock on your toe, you said, praise God. <laughs> if your kids broke one of your tools, you said, hallelujah. You got to live the life. The plow before you is not easy to hold on to because there's stumps in the field and there's holes and rocks. And you get thrust this way and thrust that way. And you look at all the empty plows in the field and you feel quite alone out there. You're like the lone ranger out there by yourself. And they're all laughing at you. Come on, that didn't work. Get over here with us on the Broadway. There's no plows over here. It's tough. It's not easy to hold on to, but you've got to believe that what God said is yours. When you pray for something, you find the promise, point one, and you find the promise, you see it in the Bible, are you convinced that's going to happen for you? I didn't say God could and God is able. We all know that. Oh, God could, God is able. Yes, yes, yes. Historically, yes. Are you convinced when you prayed that it happened for you? Do you have that assurance in your heart that when you prayed, you've got it? Are you convinced? You can draw back now and say, praise the Lord. Put a smile on your face and rejoice. And people say, why are you rejoicing? Because I believe I have what I prayed for. Well, you don't look like you have it. You don't sound like you have it. You're not even able to act like you have it. What makes you think you've got it? I don't think I have it. I know I've got it. People say, what kind of church you go to? That's what they say every time. What church you go to? Or what kind of church? Oh, it's, we got snakes. And, you know. <laughs> but do you have the confidence? Are you fully persuaded that God's going to do it? i give you an easy one. Are you convinced you're going to heaven upon the day of your death? Are you sure? How do you know? You're, why would you? Why should you go to heaven? Going to church doesn't save you. If you die today and you say, well, I'd be in heaven tomorrow, based on what? Listen to somebody, godly parents, that won't do it either. Well, I believe God, so does the devil. 
You're making it hard on it. No, I'm not either. I'm trying to put you in remembrance to show you this is what it is. It's easy to find a promise. You can do that. You got a concordance. You can find a promise. You got books that list promises. But when you find the promise, do you believe it? Do you believe that's going to work for you? Do you believe that when you pray, God will do that for you so that you no longer have to even think about it? Praise the Lord. I've got it. <coughs> I've got it. I've got, I've got, praise the Lord, I've got it. And the world's going to laugh at you. We're the laughing stock of the world at some point in our life because we're living in a way the world dreads and hates and laughs at. Scorned by the world. Because we scorn symptoms. And we turn away from all these things the world has and the world thinks we're crazy. And a lot of people can't handle that. And I'm sure, I'm sure there have been those that have turned away from it, but <laughs> praise God, they couldn't stay away from it. They came back, heads bowed, tears in their eyes, but they're back. The second part about point two, if you find a promise, do you believe it? Secondly, will you confess it? Will you say it? The words that come out of your mouth locate you. The way you talk locates you. The subject matter of your daily conversation locates you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. If you believe you're healed, you say you're healed. If you say, well, I, you know, I prayed, but I'm not sure, then you don't believe. We're back to part one of point two. If you really believe, it is necessary for you to say it. Say it. Well, God's going to deliver my child from whatever. Uh, God is going to bring this into our life. Uh, I found a promise here that I can do all things through Christ. And, you know, I've never been able to do much of anything, but... There's some things I need to do, and, and, and I need some divine help, and so I'm going to ask God to help me. I'm glad that nobody in here ever stuttered, because I did. I used to have a more of a problem with this in my early years of ministry. I couldn't put a sentence together without stuttering, getting hung up on a word. or You know, people used to stare, is he all right? Is he afflicted? What's wrong with him? My brain just wouldn't let me say a certain word. I knew when the word was coming, I couldn't say it. So I had to kind of develop my vocabulary where I could find substitute words. Where's my thesaurus at? I've got to get me another word for this. Like the time in Indianapolis, I couldn't say bandwagon. And I knew when the word bandwagon was coming, I was back here and bandwagon was waiting on me. I was coming up to it and I knew you can't say bandwagon. You go, people think, is he going to throw up? You, know? you can laugh, but back then it was a terror. I wondered so many times, I've cried more than once over the fact that I was flawed physically, flawed. I had a heart to do it. I wanted to do it. I knew what to say, but man, my mouth was afflicted. And I wonder, will it ever straighten out? Will it ever not work? 
You know what I call bandwagon? Band cart. <laughs> the guy that was traveling with me then, he was taking notes, bandwagon, and he looked up at me and said, Band cart? He said, I thought, what are you talking about, band cart? Nobody uses band cart. It's band wagon. But I couldn't say wagon. I could get the band at the time out, but wagon was a no-no. That was an obstacle. It was a condition. Will you go on? Will you back up? Now, if you believe you're healed, so what do you say? Well, I used to stutter. And the Lord healed me. Because, <laughs> you know, if two things about stutters. You never stutter when you sing a song, or you never stutter when you recite in unison. You could get with the crowd and recite anything you want to, and you never miss a word. Or you could sing it. My buddy used to say, when you get hung up again, just sing it. Now the next point I want to make about the band wagon. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be good. Everybody be getting out of there, getting, <laughs> heading for the door. But you've got to learn to say what you believe. Uh, you feel embarrassed to tell people what they don't believe, but you're supposed to believe. There's a kind of a, oh, God, I don't know what to do here. But you tell them, I was healed. Brother, was, <clears throat> <clears throat> are you all right? By stripes, I'm healed. There's a comfort zone in here. I could do that around you, and you understand. But, boy, you get around a family, family members. I was at a funeral yesterday around my brother's side of the family. I'm glad all was well. I kept my mouth shut, and all was well. When you're around people in the world, and they don't know what you're talking about, when you tell them that, well, I was just going through a trial, they think you're going to jail. They want to know who your lawyer is. <laughs> they all go to church. They've gone to church their whole life. They've never heard that. How can you walk by faith without knowing that? How can you have faith in God without knowing that at some point the faith you say you have is going to be tested? And that's the great time of confession. You've got to say it. Because the third thing that happens is, as I've talked about earlier, once you've found the promise and you convince yourself that you believe it and you confess it, now you have to walk it out because you're going to be tested. The Bible uses the word patience. Better would be endurance. Enduring. The Bible talks about enduring to the end. Receiving the end of your faith, 1 Peter 1. The end of your faith is the salvation of your soul. You've got to stay with it. And the easiest thing anybody in this room or who listens to me this morning, the easiest thing you'll ever do in this life is quit. That's all you have to do is quit. Follow the herd instinct. Do what everybody else is doing. Draw back. Spare yourself the embarrassment, the persecution. Just follow the crowd, and you'll miss the kingdom. Because everybody that lives godly, that lives on God's terms is going to suffer persecution. It's not going to be easy. This is probably the hardest part of the whole faith walk. It's going through the trials. It's going through the 
pain and the temptation and the symptoms and the fears and the uncertainty and the discomfort. How do you know you believe in God for healing unless your mind telling you it won't work or what's going to happen if? What if this becomes chronic where it can no longer be healed by the medicine and the doctors and you're now headed downhill for the rest? What are you going to do then? What a dumb choice you're making. You got to fight through that. That's part of the trial. Trust me with this one. I've seen symptoms. I have felt symptoms. I've had things come up and things come and go in the 46 years of my life that I can honestly take, stand here before God and tell you, I just, I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you for this. If this is the end of it, then this is the end. And if this is just another journey, then it's, praise God, I'm going through it. And everything so far is gone. I mean, it's just whatever came went. I can teach this. I can say this to you because I know it works. I know that God isn't misleading us. I know his word is exactly what he said it was. Peter said, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials, which are to try you. James 1 says, count it all joy when you encounter or fall into divers kinds of trials and siftings and shakings and testings. Don't give up. What did he say in Hebrews 6? He said, you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God that you might receive the promise. Let me tell you something. The greatest treasure I have this morning is my assurance of salvation. If I waste that, I've wasted a life. A man that gains a whole world, Jesus said, and loses his soul, has lost everything he ever had. It's over. And what good is it to gain everything in this world? Be Superman. Jump over tall buildings. Applauded for all your home runs and touchdowns and dunks and, and be Mr. Everything to so many. What good is all of that if when you die, it's all dark? It's all dark. Death awaits you. What good is it? There's nothing more precious a treasure than for a person to have lodged in his heart as a reality, as an assurance, that if for any reason, whatever, if I died this moment, I'll be in heaven the next. To know that in your heart. Well, can anybody really know that? There are religions that will kick you out if you believe that. Well, if you believe the Bible... You look at the Bible, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, these things are written for that reason, that you might know that you have eternal life. But you don't have eternal life because you have knowledge. Academics won't get you in heaven. You've got to believe it. But faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. It's as simple as that. The Bible talks about leadership. He said, be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It takes both faith and patience. See, patience means to hold up under, endurance, the Greek word. Your faith has latched itself onto the promise of God. Its support is your unwillingness to let go of it. You endure as long as you have to. 
This is what endurance does. It's, it's steadfastness. It's holding fast to the things that God has said. That's going to happen. And the Bible says, count it all joy. Turn to Hebrews 10. I don't want to try to put pressure on you here. I just want to put you in remembrance. Hebrews 10, verse 37, you know, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back. Now, the legalists say if you draw back at any time, in any way, a little bit or a whole lot, you're done. You're done. That wasn't true with Peter. There are those who quit, give up, and walk away and never look back. And there are those who can't even walk away without falling on their face crying because they long to come back. And they do. God brings them back. But he says in verse 38, he said, We are not of those who draw back into destruction. The word means to shrink or to cower out of fear. We're not of those who draw back into destruction, but of those who believe to what? The saving of the soul. It's interesting that the word shrink, this word shrink literally has to do with lowering a sail on a ship. But notice it doesn't mean you throw the mast down off the ship with the sail. It means you're not sailing like you were, so you just draw it up tied to the post and you're really not going anywhere when you shrink but it never says you throw the sail away you don't cut the mast off and throw it over in the water you don't quit you stay in the game now in conclusion let me give you some survival keys if you can find the promise Determined that you believe the promise and are willing to be bold enough to confess the promise and then demonstrate that you believe the promise, you're on the right road. That's what faith does. Now, in dealing with the promises and in dealing with all of this, here's the first thing you got to realize. Number one, God cannot lie to you. Tell me if you remember Numbers 23 and verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither is he the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, the Bible says, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now, wait a minute. This is what God addresses us with. He says, hey, Shelbyville, wake up. Let me tell you something. I don't lie. I don't mislead you. I don't tell you something that isn't true. If I spoke it, I'll do it. If I said it, I'll make it good. That's the basis for faith. That God, we're turning to God who cannot lie. All people say, I don't know about all of that. They don't. But you can say, I do believe that God who spoke can do what he said, and he's not misleading us. He doesn't say, well, I said I would, but I don't think I will in your case. He doesn't say that. He absolutely does not say that. He said, if he spoke it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll make it good. He said in Malachi 3, 6, he said, I am the Lord. I change not. I don't say one thing and then do something else. The Bible does not contradict itself. And if he said it, the Bible said he will do it. Now, if he told me that he heals 
that he will. And Isaiah 55, remember that one? Flip over there in the middle just for a minute. Much as you paid for your Bible, you got to use it. Isaiah 55, look at verse 11. Isaiah 55 and verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. What does he say? God's talking about his word. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. That's his spoken word. You've got it recorded for you right there in your lap. That's his word. It shall not come back empty because he didn't go out empty. No empty promises in the Bible. But he said, these words that he's spoken shall do two things. What's the first thing he said his word will do? Did he say it will prosper? Prosper in what? Prosper means that he will bring it to pass. Whatever he said, what's the second thing say? And God will make it work. Now you think of that. I've got a book right here that God who said, I don't lie. What I said, I do. And what I said will work. It will come to pass. It will prosper in what I sent it to do. Did you send it to heal? Is there anything in the Bible that God sent his word to heal us? Anywhere. Psalm 107 verse 20. Yes. Does it do that? It doesn't do it for everybody because you got to what? Believe it. You cannot just find a verse of scripture and quote it and say it's going to come to pass. You got to believe it. You got to believe it. But that's what he said. Just like in verse 10, the rain and the snow come down from heaven, waters the earth, makes the earth produce. Seed grows, use some of it to eat, some of it to plant. God says my words like that. It prospers in the thing where I've sent it to do. It will accomplish that which I please. What more can I tell you this morning? How much more can I justify God and his word by telling you that what God says, God does. If he said he heals you, he does. Yeah, well, this condition they say cannot be healed. That's not possible. There's a medical world that may not be able to heal it. All they can do is help treat it, but God can get rid of it. Why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't that be by far the best choice? Every good and perfect gift comes down from God with whom there is no variableness or turning. He never changes because he is God. Amen. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 17 and 27, God said twice, he said, is anything too hard for God? You reckon God has no problem fixing anything or healing anything or securing anything or protecting you or giving you a safe journey? Can God do that? How about healing advanced diseases? You know, they say, well, this is stage 10. You know, that must be another place where they act or perform stage 10 because with God, <laughs> such a thing is not in his vocabulary. Nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's too difficult for God. Stay in the game. Stay in the game. The game of life that God has brought you to. Hold fast to all these wonderful promises. God cannot lie. Second thing, God not only does not lie, but these last two points are very simple. But they're profound. They are profound to me. First one is Matthew 6, take no thought. 
He said it four times or five times in Matthew 6, verse 22 to the end of the chapter. He says, take no thought for your life, for things in life. What else is there? He said, take no thought. The word means to worry, to have anxiety about it, to be anxious. Things that cause stress, things that people get all tore up over. I think it's why some of us have learned to scorn the symptoms. I can't deny pain in my body. I can't deny discomfort. I can't deny it. I know it's there. I'm not talking about Christian science. I'm talking about Christian sense. I don't deny all of that there. I just deny it's right to control me and rule me. Well, don't eat that because, you know, if you eat that, it'll cause this. Give me one. I have never liked to be controlled by anybody. Other than my wife, she controls me, but I mean, I've never wanted anybody to control me. There's a thing called witchcraft that controls people. But I do want the word of God in my heart, and I want it in your heart too, to be in there having its way. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. That's a good thing. If God said, I am your healer, trust me today, he will. I mean, that's what he is. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say everybody would. I'm just saying that this is what God said. So the second thing you do is you take no thought. God does not lie. God said, take no thought. And thirdly, turn to this one, 1 Peter 5. You know this verse, but it's profound. It's profound. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. What does he say? Casting all your care. The word care in Matthew 6 is our word care here. All this anxiety, all the things that you're troubled about, the things that disturb you and trying to conquer you. We started with this message right there. You know, things that want to throw you back and forth. He said, cast all your personal worries and concerns and anxieties, cast them over on the Lord. Why? He cares for you. You mean God cares for me? He knows exactly how you feel. He knows what you're going through. He knows how much you can take. In fact, he is in charge of how much you can take. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He knows. But he says you've got to learn to cast all your care over on him. I remember one night here, we were praying for Brother Terry back maybe early in a year. And I remember the struggle, the turmoil in my heart. You know, just a fighting feeling. No, not yet. You got to come on, hang in there. Let's go. Dig in there. Dig in there. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for peace. When I have peace, I have faith. When I'm settled in my heart and the situation no longer bothers me, I'm at peace with God. That situation doesn't bother me anymore. I know it's there. I feel it. But it no longer controls because I know that God's going to take care of it. I have peace. I'm fighting for that. I want to break through. And I remember the next day in the office, sitting there in the office, it was God. This verse just came to my mind. It was almost personal. I didn't hear a voice. I can't say God said but I, my heart said something to the order of, why don't you just cast this over on the Lord and let God take care of it? You can't change it. 
You have no strength to do anything with this. You can't make a disease go away. You cannot heal anybody. You can't do anything. Why don't you just cast all your over on the Lord? Say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I know you do. I'm counting on you to do it. Take care of it for me. And then back off and leave it there. Leave it with him. And you know, I did that. And I remember sitting in my chair with my right foot propped up on the left side of my desk, looking up there at that wall above my thermostat. I know where I was. I think, you know, it's done. I said, it's done. It's done. I had peace. I have never concerned myself or worried myself about that sense. I just know that God will take care of it. God will take care of it. I know that some of you have languished over this or that. I know it hasn't been easy. I know God will take care of it. There comes a time in your life you're going to have to show God you're trusting him by saying, I cast all my cares upon thee. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time I don't know what to do, I just cast all my cares on you. That's the limit of what you can do. Because the last point is simply, when you've done all, stand. Don't run. Don't turn your back. You stand. You stand your ground. You hold your shield. You got your sword drawn. You can't fight any more than your limits. But you're a fighter. And having done all that you know to do, casting all your care and claiming and holding fast, you trust the Lord with all your heart, having done all, having done all, Ephesians 6, having done all, you stand. And boy, sometimes it looks like you're not going to be able to stand. You're blown this way. But you're being put to the test. And at some point, sometimes in the darkness of the night, sometimes in the brightness of the day, God comes in. <coughs> The pain goes. The condition goes. Who knows? You may open your mouth and you've got new teeth. Who knows? You may look down, your toes are straight. Hair on my head. I, mean, I don't know what you're believing. <laughs> I don't know what anybody's believing for. I, you know, make a lot of it up. But there comes a time when you say, Lord, I come to you. I am not able. You've made me like this, Lord. You've made me to be dependent. In the world, we were dependent on the world's way. And now, Lord, you, I come to you because your promises exceed all other promises. And I'm casting my care over on you, my health, my well-being, money, salvation in my family. I'm counting on you to do it. I, it's in your hands now, and I'm not going to go back and get it. Next time I think about it, I'm going to say it's Mark 11:24. I have prayed, I have believed, I have. Amen. May God continually put us in remembrance. May he never leave us as Christians alone. May every time we attend church, may the word either be like a hammer, a fire, or may it be like a sword. But may it locate us, and may the word also refresh us, and may the word also declare us 
to be his. I don't want to go to church and hear sermons. I'll hear one when I go. I usually get to do it. But I want God to speak to me. I want to walk out of here better equipped to deal with life than I was when I came in. So if you want to take an hour and seven minutes to preach to me, go ahead. Amen. God is good. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, your word is true. Your word is true because you're true. Your word does not fail because you do not fail. You watch over your word to perform it. You've given us your word as a way to live, and this is how we live, not by bread alone, but by every, every word. Your word is our life. Your word is what we claim, Lord. It's the basis for our faith. I pray in the name of Jesus that everybody that can hear my voice, that has a heart for you, will never forget the cry of their heart, a longing to walk with and to know you and to be your child. Even in our struggles and our difficulties, may we hear that voice. May that voice resurrect us from our ash heaps and deliver us from our fears and struggles. And even when we have faltered and fallen back, may that voice bring us back, restore us, get us in the game again. Father, I pray for everybody that's here this morning that no one would be left out of conviction or understanding of your word this morning. Bless to our hearts what this all means and how we live it and continue to lead us in a way that leads to heaven, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.